morning, everybody. I'm reading from the, the uh, Bible in two places as usual. Uh, we start with Corinthians 3 from verse 1 to verse 11. Since then, we have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on things where, not the earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with uh, Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impunity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in three ways, in these ways, in the life that you once had. But you now must also rid yourself of such things as these anger, rage, and malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with all its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ it all is in all. And the second, second reading is Luke 12, from 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man who appointed, man who appointed me as judge uh, or as an arbiter over you. Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Like uh, Life does not consist in, in abundance of possessions. And he told, tell, he, he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And I will there I will store all my surplus grain. And say to myself, you have, done, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will, will get that what you have protected, prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God.
Oh, a little better, isn't it? Terrific. When all um, when all seems to be shaken and uncertain, we need something to hold on to, don't we? Kind of feeling that today. But uh, the reality is, it's the truth every day of our lives. Uh, yesterday, my mum passed away. Just um, a little over six months after my dad passed away. And so passing of a generation. In fact, his sister passed away about two months ago as well. And um, I think there's one younger brother left on my mum's side. And obviously for times like this, we want to know what is, what is certain. What is the, the foundation to life? Because human life in and of itself comes to an end. And... Um, there's nothing better, I don't think, than to speak of Christ. And I want to kind of paint a picture, because I think Paul paints a picture for us. And he does it, he does it for good purpose. And in this passage in Colossians, he speaks of our, this, this new work, this new man, this new person, which ultimately is Christ, but it's in us now, is being renewed in knowledge. Is your new man being renewed in knowledge? You see, we're transformed through the renewal of our thinking. This is why repentance is so key to life. That we would learn to lay aside the things we believe to be true and have lived by, not just objectively what we believe in, but what life is all about, how we live it, why we live it. (laughs) And we would start to embrace the revelation that's been given to us. And Paul concludes by saying, Christ is all and in all. It's rather comprehensive. For God is ultimately comprehensive, all things. Now, there's an immediate context in which Paul is speaking about the, the new self, this glorious work that God is doing in the individual, in the church as a community, and ultimately in the world. But there's a larger context as well, I think, in which God speaks that. And it's to realize that everything is centered upon Him, not me, not you, not us but upon Him. It's all about Him. <laughs> and, and the life centered upon Christ is the life that's lived well and lived eternally. For He is the Eternal One. And Paul expands on this through this amazing short letter to the Colossians, and it has some strong parallels with his letter to the Ephesians. I think they were letters that were passed around. There's a few things I just want us to point out and reflect upon about the nature of Christ. For our good, for our, our own transformation, that we would be renewed in our thinking and therefore be changed and therefore be more secure, more at home, more hopeful, more joyful, more of all that God intends. Firstly, Christ is God in the flesh. Christ, the Eternal One, who comes and takes flesh in Jesus of Nazareth. Paul says in first chapter of Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God. 
God is invisible. He always was. But out of his desire for us to know him and to see him, to relate to him and to become with one with him, he made himself known in Jesus the Christ. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, in Christ, in God's Son, living upon the earth. All his fullness dwelling in him. And where is he now? He's in us. The fullness of God. We know God because of Jesus. Most people struggle with God or reject God because they don't know Jesus. Or there's a distorted view because of Jesus or the church or whatever the enemy wishes and does do. But John, sorry, Jesus, in speaking to his disciples says, to have seen me is to have seen the Father. For I and the Father are one. You want to know what the Father's like? We want to know what God is like. Look at Jesus, the Christ. Secondly, Christ created everything. Everything that is. I was talking to someone the other day who was talking about a friend who doesn't believe. And I said, you know, it's good sometimes to help people understand when they say they don't believe in this, it means they're believing in something. It means that they're looking around at this world and believing that this world has come from nothing, by chance, randomly. I haven't got faith for that, have you? But that's, that's the implication. If there is no creator as first cause, then it's all here by chance. But we believe Christ created everything. He's the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, and get this, for him, including you and me. This is for him. And when, when he is not the center and the goal and the purpose and the intent, we are off center and we struggle. John similarly says, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. How comprehensive is that? As John ponders the eternal one, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything came out of that reality. And so as creator, Christ is sovereign over all. And firstborn here refers to his primacy, his importance, his significance, because he created his supreme. Thirdly, he's eternal. And he holds all things together. We don't. The government doesn't. Your bank balance doesn't. Christ holds all things together. This is meant to give us hope when things seem to be shaking. Because we are not of this world. The new man, the new creation is eternal. It belongs to the age that is to come. The age that is eternal has always been and always will be. It was there before the beginning. It will be there in the recreation of all things. Hallelujah. 
Christ is before all things. In him all things hold together. Jesus said before Abraham was born, I am. And of course he's referring to the revelation of God to Moses in the wilderness having been rescued out of captivity. Tell them, oh, well before he sends them to rescue them, he says, tell them I am. Who I am? I just am. You see, God is. And the foundation of our belief is the starting point that God is. And God is good. And when we, with our modern scientific mindset, want to say, no, God is not. I I know something better. What are we doing? When Jesus spoke those words, the Jews understood what he was saying and they wanted to stone him for it. And, And... Jesus the Christ laid claim to this extraordinary reality that he both created and upholds and sustains the universe. We are totally dependent upon him, not just for our existence, but for our every need, now and forever. That's why my first doctrine lecture in theological college, the lecturer invited the question, Did God die on the cross? The sustainer of all things, did he die? We have looks on our faces like you seem to have on your faces. It's a good thing to ponder, isn't it? In those moments when we're struggling to sleep or something. Kind of it's beyond our understanding at one level, isn't it? That the creator and sustainer of life submits to death. In his love for you. Christ is the beginning of the new creation. Our hope is set upon this. There is something new. God promised in the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant. It was prophesied about and it was proclaimed in the coming of Jesus of Nazareth when he says, The time is fulfilled. Repent, believe the good news of the kingdom. It is here, and it is here in me. And the recreation is begun. Paul describes him in Colossians 1.18. He's the firstborn from among the dead. You see, Jesus' bodily resurrection, not resuscitation, but resurrection unto new creation. Into this indestructible, glorified, resurrection body that exists in heaven, in the spiritual realm, and in the natural created realm. This is our destiny. He's the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Hallelujah! We are like Him. For we've had a foretaste through the Spirit of that which will be complete when we enter into that fullness or the Lord Himself returns at the end of the age. And so, Jesus the Christ is our hope. He's indestructible, life, immortal body, for now and for the age to come. This is the picture we are painting. This is the one in whom we believe, but this is the one in whom we live and move and have our being, upon whom we set our hope. In the midst of a broken world, Christ 
is in charge of everything. He's the Lord. He truly is. God raised Jesus from the dead so that in everything he would have the supremacy. We know it because of the resurrection. It's why the resurrection lies at the heart of the gospel message as we read the book of Acts and the proclamation of the apostles. Jesus, who was dead, is alive again. We're just reading towards the end of Acts and the people think Paul's out of his mind speaking about this. But you see, that was the expectation. That's what had been promised. And it had come. And in Ephesians 1, verse 10, Paul says, God is working to head up all things in Christ, things in heaven and the things on earth. For at the name of Jesus, he will say, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. He has the supremacy. He is in charge. And the revelation of this Extraordinary reality is being revealed to the world and principalities and powers through the church. Through you and I and our brothers and sisters. This is how extraordinary this is. This is why this is a world-shattering, world-changing, world-healing, world-renewing message and reality. Or at least it's meant to be. We are not what we were. We're not quite what we shall be. But we're definitely something different. Because of God's grace and mercy and the, the empowering reality of the Spirit who has been given to us to reassure us, but also to begin the work. Not that we would wait and be passive, but no, we would start to live into our calling and destiny. Is Christ. That's it. That's all. That's all. Finally, God reconciled creation to Himself in Christ. It's extraordinary. He reconciled all that He created. There's such an expansive view Paul seems to give in this letter. God worked through Christ to reconcile to Himself all things. How many things? All. Tapanta, all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his Christ's blood shed upon the cross. And all things, as Paul wrestles with in Romans, speaks to all of creation. He is reconciling to himself through the blood of Christ. It is that effective. And when you struggle to believe that you can be forgiven or made new, invite the Holy Spirit to reveal this truth, not only you, but everything you see around you. I don't know how he's doing that. I'm not meant to. I'm meant to know that it's a reality in me and invite others to experience that for themselves in him. God has blessed humanity with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose humanity in Christ. Ugly. He chose Christ. He chose Jesus. He is the one. 
He is the elect. But the purpose of his death was for all. In him. It's got to be in him. Because ultimately it's about him. But before the foundation of the world, this was the Lord's good pleasure and delight to want to do this. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The barrier is removed. The invitation is made to return to the Father through the Son and the power of the Spirit as those who are forgiven, made new, the recreation, made good, forgiven, cleansed, washed. And the moment I start to feel my sins are getting in the way, it's because my mind is focusing upon that which is dead rather than that which has come alive in Christ. And the invitation is not to trust this old thing up, but to give thanks and to live into this new reality through the renewing of my mind, to believe and to reject the enemy's accusation. Though we were all dead in transgression and the uncircumcision of our flesh, uncircumcision means we were outside of the covenant, we were outside of relationship, we were disconnected from God and the blessings. But through Christ and in Christ, He made us alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. So whatever our problem, whatever the world's problem, whatever the human predicament all around us, for now and for all eternity, Christ is all-sufficient. I believe. And I rest in that. And this salvific work, this rescue from death, this disconnect from the Father, is for all. The Jews didn't see it that way. You see, we can think we are so privileged. We can get so wrapped up in how good a job we've done of things, of how special we are, that we slightly shift the focus from God to self. Whether it's self, family, town, city, soccer team, nation. But it's not, you see, it's Christ. Our center is Him. And our life and freedom is Him. The Jews saw themselves as superior to the Gentiles. After all, they kept the law. They had the law. They were circumcised. But they were certainly better than the Greeks, who themselves were better than the Scythians or the barbarians. And some of those were pretty nasty people. But we all are left to our own devices. Weren't Roman citizens better than the slaves who worked for them? After all, they were treated as barely human in man's thinking, but not in God's thinking. Christ is all and in all. And in Jesus, God has reconciled all to himself. Look how um, Eugene Peterson puts this in the message. Don't lie to one another. Done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the Creator. With His label on it. Talk about designer. Hey, all the old fashions are now obsolete. 
Well, there's no bell bottoms, no kipper ties. Come on, you remember those times. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious, irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized, uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. Now, there's some mystery in this. And I can see you're wrestling with it. I invite the Spirit to speak to you about this. So how shall we live? What shall we do in the light of all of this? I mean, this is the question, isn't it? Does this make a difference? Does your neighbor notice? Because to rest in this truth is not a passive activity. It's not meant to be. That's not what Paul has said. There's something to do for the Christ follower. To seek the things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You see, though we live upon the earth, we are to see ourselves as those who are established in the heavens. Not so that we'd be of no earthly use. Actually, no. So we would see the kingdom come. So we would live that heavenly life upon the earth. The very thing Jesus did. Because we're in him. And the same spirit that was working in him is a work in us. If the Spirit is in us. There's a daily discipline to set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. We forget about this. Now, don't feel bad about that, but understand that's a temptation and a reality. That's why we are to encourage one another daily. That's why we are to read the living Word of God daily. Because it's to remind us of who we are, in order that we would live a life worthy of our Lord. For His glory, centered upon Him, about His work for His purpose, making these heavenly realities more of a reality in my life. And none of us is perfect at it. That's okay. Just are we on the journey together, in dependence upon Him and one another? And we move in this external label and reality to an internal. You see, that was the issue that Jesus faced in the man who says, tell my brother, divide the inheritance. I mean, it was a reasonable request. But Jesus isn't interested in those externals. He's interested in the heart, you see, because he knows that's the source of life. That's why he came to give us a new heart, so that out of our heart would flow his life. And beware, beware, he says. When you make life all about the externals, you fool. This very night, your life will be taken from you. It's not about you. Put on the new man, being renewed in knowledge. And that means we put something to death. It died. It was dead and buried. DBR. Remember? Baptized into death and burial. But we've got to keep putting it to death. Why? Because the mind is still tied into that which was. And the renewal of the mind means a jettisoning. Every time it comes to mind. Or we're accused by the enemy of it. Or by whomever. We've got to know. No, that is not who I am. I must learn to train my mind to believe the truth. And to walk in it so that I experience its freedom. That's what we're given power for. 
So put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. And Paul lists actually things to do with the lust of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And he says this because Paul understands there's a part of that still in us. And if we give it energy, you know, God gave, you know, sexual desire is not a bad thing. It's a good gift, but out of place when it becomes Lord, when we live for it rather than for God, when we're out of control because we're allowed this power to control us, it becomes very dangerous to us, as does any kind of lust or desire of the flesh. In other words, what's going to serve me in my earthly body? And your earthly body desires these things. And the spiritual life is learning to actually replace those with something far better. You don't overcome this by trying to overcome this. You overcome this by pursuing the Lord, by pursuing this spiritual life in Him that comes down from heaven into your earthly existence and your heart and your desires change. It's a process. And there's no guarantee that it's the same for everybody. But the potential is the same for everybody. Completeness, fullness. It's all available to absolutely everybody, wherever they are in their response to Christ. And he says, beware, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. What does that mean? We, we hear that, we, we tend to be kind of human. Because we know when we get angry with something, or someone, there's punishment to be had. probably deserves a total sermon on its own. But what is interesting to me when Paul speaks about the wrath of God, particularly in Romans 1, in such a similar context, three times Paul says, and God gave them over to their very desires. You see, the Lord allows those desires to have their full way and expression in us, and it brings death. And it's dangerous. It's not what you were created for. It's what the enemy deceives you into thinking that life is all about and where you will find life. God doesn't punish us. We punish ourselves. We fall prey to the lie. And the very fruit of those choices becomes death to us. We're miserable. We're lost. We're broken. We hurt others. We see it all around us. This is something of what it means to be given over to God's wrath. The consequence of our own choices. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips do not lie to one another. Now what's interesting about all of these are they less to do with the lust of the flesh and the lust the eyes, they're more to do with the dynamics of the community of the people of God. They are how we speak to one another, how we treat one another. You see, as much as God has a desire for you as an individual, he has an equal desire for us as a people. And when we live in unreconciled, angry relationships where we speak badly of one another, where we lie to one another, where we disrupt the flow and grieve the Spirit of God, and this very thing that is meant to be a testimony of a people who are an accepting, forgiving, gracious, honoring, respecting people because they're changed and heaven has come, 
become something very ugly and unattractive. Because God will give us over to us. So he says, put those away. That's not who you are. There is something better. He says, by the Spirit, make room for Christ. Is that what you want? What happens? Why would we not want that? Because well, the deception is the flesh. But God. God's light shines in the darkness. You're the light of the world. Shine your light. Shine your light. Let Christ in our living for Him and our loving through Him be all in all. To the glory of God. Amen. Let's just stand, shall we? I'd like to invite the Spirit to continue this work that he's begun. Whoops, come on, come on, speaker. He that began a good work in you. I mean, this is another promise. We'll bring it to completion. This isn't about you working hard enough to be good enough for God. Please don't hear that. It's all gift. It's all grace. It's all abundant mercy. You've just got to humble yourself and recognize that. You've got to be vulnerable and ask for it. And above all these things, Trust in the goodness of God. Trust in His promises. Trust in His work upon the cross for your sake. That the the problem of sin has been dealt with. You need not live like this anymore because you have everything. So rest. So come Holy Spirit, we pray. May your word continue to live in us. Lord, let Let your promises continue to take root and bring forth fruit to the glory of God. Lord, I know there is a call upon this community. And there is an invitation for us to Grow up into Christ more and more. That that which is true of us because of Christ becomes more true in us for the sake of Christ. Come Holy Spirit. Where, however the Lord is speaking to you, whatever's stirring in your heart, whatever you sense that the Lord is making new, renewing, bringing life to, if there is, even if there's a sense of an absence of this and a wish that it could be something different, this is of the Spirit. This is of the light and love of Christ who is with us and for you. And even now, there is a richness and a blessing that's available. So reach out. Open up your heart and mind. Open up your, your arms, your body. Invite the Holy Spirit of God. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Lord, we're a people who, we're not, we're not just a bunch of human beings anymore. We've been born from above. 
the Spirit of God is at work in us. The Creator of all things dwells within and among us. And so we ask, Holy Spirit of God, break the power of the enemy. Break the power of accusation and lies in the name of Jesus. Lord, where people are struggling to rejoice in the blessings of the Lord, of being children of God, beloved. Lord, bring that newness to them, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Break off the yoke of the enemy. Break the power of the lies that have been established. Words that have been spoken over, Lord, let them fall to the ground and die in the name of Jesus. And Lord, let new words replace them. Let there there come a pursuit of the holy, a pursuit of the godly, a pursuit of love, of blessing, of kingdom. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And come, Lord. Receive from your Father. Receive from your Father. More, Lord. More, Holy Spirit. The Lord's putting a word on anyone word of encouragement. I invite you to share that. Some of you may wonder if the Lord really sees you and knows you. And I think your father would want to say to you, I do. I've seen you. I've I've known you from eternity past. I'm here with you. My son died for you. I put my very life in you. You are my chosen, special creation. My heart is thrilled because of you. Enter into my joy. Christ Jesus, there is now therefore no condemnation. If any of you are living with a sense of shame or condemnation, of not being good enough, or of knowing things that you've said and done and feeling that somehow that's disqualified you, no. In Him you're forgiven. In Him you're being made new. Turn to Him. Receive the gift. Walk in the freedom. Reject the lie of the enemy. 
Choose to have no part in that. And ask the Holy Spirit to give you renewal. And increase. I think, too, that the Lord wants to to bring a a boldness to our, our witness. Not in the sense that we're putting people down, but in a sense of a confident witness to the testimony of Christ. An authoritative witness. Not, not in an accusing or challenging way, but in a convicted, compassionate, and anointed way. That there will be a renewed confidence in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the Lord would establish something through the witness and testimony of this community in this town and beyond this town. And it begins in you. It flows from you. Not the old you. You know, if, if, if any of us are thinking, well, well, that can't be me, that's not me. No, this is the new you. You're being renewed through in, in knowledge, in the image of your Creator. So come Holy Spirit, we pray. Deepen and continue that work among us. How we need you, Lord. How we need you. And may, in a sense, this be a beachhead, Lord, from this day forward. This is kind of a, an interesting picture, sense, kind of gross as well. Um, you know when you go into someone's bathroom and you see matches on the toilet and you think, well, I know why they're there. And, um, but I just have that sense that the Lord is saying it's time to strike the match to get rid of the stench, the smell. Purification. Purify the air. So, Lord, we ask for it. We ask that you would strike the match over us. Lift off the bad odor, the lies, the things that linger Come, Lord. Lord, build us, continue to build us as a people together. We are responsible to and for one another. We need one another. We need to help and uphold one another. We need to warn one another when necessary. But it's in a beautiful way that the Lord does this because we're family. We all belong. It's not a threat of expulsion. No, it's a, a pursuit of the pas- a passion for Christ and becoming all that he wants us to be. Together, as a people, we confess and pray for one another. We're, t- we're healed, we're saved, we're set free. Together. I asked the Lord this week uh, just a question. Uh, Where's the tree of life now? might seem like a simple answer, but I didn't really know. And he said, it's in you. And I said, so can I still eat that fruit? And he said, yes. It, and he, he did this writing thing about it, about the delight, the, the choice 
there's that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's like when you sense there might be something wrong with you, and the first thing you do is Google and look up some information about what could be wrong. Instead of, right away the Lord would say to me, it's not a problem for you. He wants me to just take that word. That's it. That is the word. It's not a problem for you. <laughs> to eat that, he's, he called it delightful. To, to still be able to come to that tree that is, it's, it's in you. And the delicious, juicy information, experiences, uh, his presence, the, the, the delight. It, it was just all about what was delightful, innocent, childlike, that you would go and take his word and hold, and hold him to it and believe it and stand on it. And, and there's so much of it. And then, of course, we're displaying it, that fruit. We're eating it. We're the aromas all around us. So, so I just, you know, it's like there's so much information around us. There's so much news. And there's so much, um, I'm going to call low-frequency noise. And there's really high-frequency, excellent, delightful uh, fruit to pick. So, Lord, may we pursue this fruit from above, this life from above, this reality that we are already above, but you have us here for your purpose and glory. 